What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Yesterday's History. I am Nick Jensen, and as always, I'm joined by the master marijuana grower himself, Connor Whalen. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And expert plane mechanic, Jackson. I appreciate the credit you give me. It's a lot, but it's it's. I, I appreciate that. You deserve it, buddy. How you how you guys doing? How are we how are we feeling this week? Uh, feeling pretty good. I mean, it's fucking spooky season, so I'm pretty stoked about this episode. I mean, it kind of yeah. fits the vibe. Yeah, it's pretty great. This is my birthday. It's a good time to record. I like it. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Jackson. Happy birthday. I know you like spooky season, Connor. You've always been real into goblins, based on some of the girls you've dated. Um. Oh, that was that one hurt. That's gonna be a while to recover from. I just stood up and slapped him for no reason. <laughs> Sorry, Slap bro. I had the internet. I had to do it. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm in, I'm in a in a weird mood. I'm sorry. I didn't sleep last night due to the mushrooms I ate. Got got real hammered. Lost like a it. freaking. Here. Dude, I lost I lost a beer pong tournament when we had one cup left, and this kid hits fire, and then makes six cups in a row. I was absolutely so that's, angry. That's a once in a lifetime game for that fucking kid. He's yeah, gonna, that guy's going to tell that everybody stop. that story. He yeah, should he's, not play again ever. <laughs> yeah, to say he has he's a perfect won. game now. <laughs> six cups. Wait, so that means he had seven. There's only what. 10 on the board. Yeah, dude, it was, it was crazy, man. Like, and I just had to be nice about it, you know? And I was like, Oh, nice game, bro. He was like with a girl. I was talking to this girl behind me. So I wanted to be cool. But in my head, I was like, I'm going to fucking wait for this kid in the parking lot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to jump this motherfucker. Sit up there and break his knees. Yeah. I'm going to break his fucking hands, bro. I'll never be able to play again. <laughs> well, Anyways. I actually plays in uh, jumping people in parking lots and, you know, some street justice plays exactly into what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's so nice. in, in honor of spooky season today, we're going to be talking about the night of the long knives. Yes, that's right. Today we're going to tackle the huge topic of the Night of the Long Knives. And now I, I do feel like I need to preface by like saying that starting the research for this episode was not easy by any fucking means. I figured that since this was an event that happened over the course of like two days, I mean, how hard could it be? But when I started to write the outline, I started way back in like the 1920s talking about Hitler's early days and the Nazi party is consolidation of power within the party. Then I started to talk about the Great Depression and the implications that had on Germany, Adolf Hitler and, and the Nazi party. <laughs> I talked about Hitler's like very first attempt to seize power in Munich during its fair, failed beer hall push. And it was pretty much at that moment when I nearly hit four pages single space that I realized I needed to back up and reevaluate this episode and how we were going to approach it. Uh, otherwise this would be like a Dan Carlin sized episode and none of us have that time and or patience. So for the sake of my own sanity and by all you people who are listening, I'm going to be try to like really breeze through 13 years of eventful history to get us like sped up to where we're actually going to talk about this event. Uh, so strap in and strap on history fans, maybe pour yourself four fingers worth of whiskey or roll up a Sasquatch sized doink. This shit's about to get real dark, real fucking fast. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot today about the events of June 30th and July 2nd, 1934. 
So I'll give us a quick summary background of what happened and why. Then we'll take a quick jump back in time to before these events and get a solid footing on how and why this whole thing went down, including important players, like, you know, people, places, all the big names. So just a quick summary. Night of the Long Knives was a purge of the Nazi party under the orders of Chancellor Adolf Hitler uh, in order to consolidate his power uh, over Germany at the time because he, while he was chancellor, he w- wasn't technically the president because at the time, uh, Hindenburg was, what, what's his name? Paul von Hindenburg was actually the president. Yeah, something von Hindenburg. Paul uh, yeah, it's, it's Paul von Hindenburg, the, the famous one from the First World War. Yeah. Uh, Hitler wanted to purge the party Oh God! And I really fucked up. I should should have put some like pronunciation guides in here. Yeah, how's your German, bud? Uh, oh God, I'm gonna get lynched for this. Uh, Hitler wanted to purge the party of that Stammenbutenlug. Oh God, I Sturmabtlug. Sounds like we're having strokes on fucking Sturmabtlug. God, such a weird... uh, I feel way. bad for dyslexic people who are German, bro. Oh my god! Hell, <laughs> they just like they have such long words. They just smash it together until it works. And there's so many fucking continents. Like, there's a U in there. Why is there a I L U Ilung? I I okay, is it T E? I like you pronounce it the T E I L U N G like Tilung Tilung like Sturmab Tilung Sturmab Tilung. I I think that's as good as we're gonna get it. Sturmab. They're also, we're not even going to refer to them by the German name. These are guys were called the SA or the SA Brown Shirts. Uh, we're just going to call them the Brown Shirts, though, to simplify this. Because as uh, you would guess, they tended to wear brown shirts when they went about their activities. Yeah, and, and the more I drink during this episode, and also in spirit of this episode, I am actually drinking Hofbrau Oktoberfest, imported from Germany. Oh, yeah, it's the last uh, week of Oktoberfest, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Oktoberfest, I think, ends... Uh, actually, I think it might be over. I thought it ended like October 4th. Oh, does it? I'd have to double check. So it goes like for like a couple of days in October, maybe a week. Yeah, because we when you and I went, we went at the very tail end of it. Because we didn't realize that. We... Mm. Or did we? Or did we? Is that just the time we had off? No, I had no fucking clue. I yeah, was we didn't realize. Because I wanted to go. It's really badly named Oktoberfest. 70% of it's in September. <laughs> yeah, the first like two weeks of it are. Last yeah, week a, in October. That's yeah, only a three three week thing. Um, Anywho, Any uh, so the SA Brown Shirts uh, they were a paramilitary group that Hitler actually used to propel himself to power during the 1920s and 30s. These guys were pretty much the muscle that Hitler used to silence political opponents. Yeah, paramilitary mo- groups a nice oops, sorry paramilitary no, groups a nice way to say they're just a gang. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty much a roving street gang. Uh, they were most notorious and known for their involvement in the Night of Broken Glass, which is a pretty sad event where they went and vandalized. It was pretty much a giant pogrom across all of Germany. Yeah, this one broke up. I don't know if they, like, they killed some people, but I think it was more just like a mass vandalization over like one or two nights. What a sure nice of the whatever, bro. Where's like Night of a Million Kegs? <laughs> Yeah, well, night of bro- broken glass, night of the long knives. Yeah, we need the night of the hundred kegs. Does, does the long knives have like a German name? Because like night the the night of broken glass has uh, like Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht. Yeah, is there like a? I would assume so. 
Sure. Not the uh, night of the big bag of ketamine. I, I'd be game for that one. <laughs> the night of the big bag of cocaine. Honestly, they could have used a big bag of ketamine. They needed to calm down a bit. <laughs> no, they needed... They Yeah, they definitely needed the ketamine. I mean, they were all messed up on Pervitin right about now. Yeah. So if the brown shirts were the muscle that Hitler had been using for the past decade, I mean, who was Hitler going to use to purge these motherfuckers? Well, you don't need to answer that because I'm going to answer for you fucks. The main players Hitler would use to carry out these extrajudicial killings were that... Oh, God damn it, another German word... Stutenstaffel. Uh, Stutenstaffel? Stutenstaffel? Yeah, that sounds right. They're better better known, as most history fans would know, as the Waffen-SS, and as well as the Security Service, the SD, which was... Does anyone know what Waffen means? I like, have, why is it the Waffen, like the Waffen-Schutenstaffel? Waffen-Schutenstaffel? I have no, no clue, dude. I should, <laughs> I should know. I don't know. I need to, I need to, I need to look up more German. Yeah. <laughs> I need to look up the history of German words. It's not on my like priority list right now. I'm just get dictionary. <laughs> I would also be a little remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Hitler's Gestapo or his secret police also took place in this purge. Uh, so now that we have like most of the main players, you know, the brown shirts, the Waffen SS, the security division, the Gestapo, Adolf Hitler, who was the head of the Nazi party in Germany from 1933 till 1945, he was appointed chancellor of Germany on January 30th, 1933, by then sitting president, yep, Paul von Hindenburg. He was, uh, he was the man who was once the head of the army during the First World War, so he was super famous. He had all this clout, all this renown, uh, and he was kind of entrusted with uh, the transfer of power. Wasn't from, his like pe- pedigree like the reason he was like elected or appointed president? I forget how they're. I how it think he was. I want to say he was appointed president, but then he got reelected during the Weimar era. Do they get appointed by like the Reichstag? God, I should know this. Who who appoints these people? Oh, I think it was a direct vote. So he they, was actually elected. I think. Well, I think he was appointed. After they ousted the Kaiser from the Second World or First World War, I want to say they appointed their first president, kind of like how we did for George Washington. We just kind of appointed him. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. then he just got re-voted in over the course of like the. Well, Hindenburg wasn't president to start with. Like he got voted later after like shit was kind of falling apart because of the Nazis and like Great Depression and whatnot. Like, I thought there he was a couple of presidents before him, weren't there? Oh, really? Or, or am I thinking chancellors before him? Chancellor, because chancellors, yeah. There's like several chancellors that. Right before Hitler, and yeah. a bunch of those guys get you know eighty six during the night of the long knives. No spoilers. I just sworn there were a couple of presidents like that got voted voted in and out on like regular intervals, kind of thing. Hindenburg was brought in to, like said hopefully for like stability that everyone could support. You know, I'd have to look that up. God, I should, we read a book on this. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should know this. We took a German history class together, Jackson. Yeah. So Paul von Hindenburg, yeah, he was he was a big shot in Germany from the First World War. And he had the power to appoint who was chancellor. Now, with Hitler being elected as chancellor, that's going to end our game of Secret Hitler. Uh, have a good one, everybody. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. Uh, and, and for those of you that don't understand the reference, you obviously haven't played the game Secret Hitler. And you need to pause this episode, go and find the game on Amazon, buy it, play it. Because Secret Hitler's a lot of fun. It's the only time it's acceptable socially to call your friends a uh, fascist. Oh yeah. It nothing Honor. brings like your friends and family together, like screaming, you're a fascist pig. You're a fascist or accusing table. somebody of being Hitler.
you dirty Nazi across the table from each other. And it actually is perfectly within the within like the scope of the game. Unless you come into it out of context and it sounds like you're all unhinged. Connor, no more promoting products unless we're getting sponsored. No, no, we promote it for free. It's free advertising right now, and then they'll pick us up later. Yes, who, give us who, free stuff. Uh, whoever, who does who makes it? Yeah, it's probably not a Hasbro game, right? <laughs> uh, it, I, I don't think the Hasbro family company is really making Secret Hitler. They make but, Monopoly. That I don't know Hasbro. That doesn't sound like a Jewish name, does it? <laughs> I don't think so. That kind of that'd be like weirdly like that'd be funny if it was actually made by like a Jewish company. Like a Jewish family, <laughs> they find a way to profit off Hitler, bro. Talk about hey. talk about like getting them back. And talk about- yeah, I mean they gotta they gotta you gotta Re- recoup monet- those losses somehow. Mon- monetize your own uh, tragedy. Yeah, Take this Nazis, we're gonna turn you into such a joke. We're making a board game out of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, I mean, with Hitler now coming to the zenith of his power. He now had the ability to dispense of the Reichstag, which we talked about earlier. Reichstag was, for those of you who might not know, it's pretty much just the legislative body of the German government at the time, similar to like, you know, British Parliament or the U.S. Congress, I want to say. Um, then with this out of the way, all their political parties were eliminated as well. Hitler effectively made Germany a one-party country overnight. And remember, this is still only 1933. Hitler's going to hold absolute power over Germany until 1945. Does he always like remain technically the chancellor? That he just, he just kind of gets rid of him or the, every other office, or does he like get himself to become president or whatever? Yes, you know your first what you said first was right. So after Paul von den Hindenburg, uh, the president, after he dies, no president's ever just like elected for like Hitler just leaves a spot vacant, and Hitler as the chancellor is just kind of assumes ultimate power. Yeah. Um, I'll do it. Now, while Hitler was chancellor, this did not grant him any power or authority over the actual German army at the time. This still remained an independent force and a force to be reckoned with at that. German army was full of officers and generals who had a high sense of pride and believed in the integrity and army tradition embedded in Germany. Uh, and this dates as far back as Frederick the Great. Like the Prussian... What is it? The Prussian High Command, like that—that that sense of German. Yeah, they're honor. all Prussian, like officers and stuff. Yeah, it's it's a very deeply embedded thing. To like, it's there's a lot of pride involved with the German army, um, and it's this sense of pride and tradition that made the army officers look down on the upstart Nazis and their gang of thugs, which were the brown shirts, because you have these, you know all these officers and generals are these are uptight guys. Like they do everything by the books. Then they see these rabble Nazis just, well, they're like coming off the legacy of like the first world war where they like, you know, they lost, but the German army conducted itself pretty darn relatively well. Yeah. Relatively. (laughs) I mean, like, I mean, compared to how shit's going to go in the second world war, they seem to be pretty darn good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So German high command did not really accept these Nazis. So by 1933, Hitler didn't have the support of the army, like at all. All he had was the brown shirts. And I mean, he had the Gestapo, which was, it was a growing force at the time. And so was the SS. Were those official bodies yet? The Gestapo and Uh, SS? The Gestapo, I think kind of like, I want to say the Gestapo, it's just a secret police. So obviously I bet the Kaiser had that. And I bet that just bled into the Weimar Republic and then into the Third Reich. 
Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, and then the sense. SS was just Hitler's original like bodyguard, weren't they? Yeah, they're his bodyguard, and uh, they kind of evolved into their own thing eventually, which I think we'll talk about a little later on. Wasn't the SS initially like his political party? Uh, basically, they were they might like, have been they, like party guards or something, or like some. They were like, like a part of or some an extension like of the party. It, that would make sense. They they were pretty. I like. In a sense, you're right there, Nick, because the SS were, they took their oath of loyalty to Hitler and not the party. Well, I thought, I thought Hitler, they took it directly to the Hitler and the party and not Germany. Yeah, well, Hitler is the party and the party is Hitler. So mm-hmm. they that, that's that's what the difference between like the SS and the Gestapo. I mean, the SS took their their loyalty oaths to Hitler himself and then that's where it's going to like later on, it becomes like an issue between the Brown shirts and the SS uh, because the Brown shirts never took an oath to Hitler himself. Oh, I see. Um, so in each, so each one of these branches, it, it's separate from the army and they their operated loyalties. under Hitler's direction. And their kind of loyalties are a bit divided. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of them's loyal to Hitler. One of them's loyal to Germany. One of them is loyal to whoever's going to give them the most power. Ernst Rom, who this guy is, he he's got a lot to him. Like he was a first World War veteran and whatnot. He had become the leader of the Brown Shirts in 1923. Rom was a World War veteran, as I mentioned, and he had fallen out of favor within the army, like general staff, just for his lifestyle. I want to say he didn't fit in with like the traditional Prussian staff. Is what I guess I'm trying to. What I'm trying to say. He joined up with the Nazis in the 1920s and 30s. Like the way I said Nazis there, it's like Nazis. Freaking A. <laughs> Lieutenant Aldo Rain. Rome, when he became leader of the Brown Shirts, it gave him like that ability to live that army life, but in his own vision and his own lifestyle, because he was a brawler. He was he was a pretty tough guy. Because he, he kind of joined as like a street tough, didn't he? Oh yeah. I mean he earned himself a name pretty much fighting communists and revolutionaries during like the Weimar Republic. And with Hitler running the Nazi party, Hitler wound up using the brown shirts to disrupt rival party meetings, which led to a large amount of street fights with social Democrats and communists. And Ernst Rome hated the social Democrats and he hated communism. So he was just fucking out there just swinging fit. He loved being a part of all this, like all these like street fights and whatnot. He had a pretty scarred up face from all his fights and whatnot. And I think he got a fair amount of injuries during the first world war too. If I'm not mistaken. So yeah. he's kind of a boss tweed type. He was a boss tweed out there fucking bashing skulls. Well, it's like all these like high up, not like original, like old, like from 1920s Nazi leaders. They're all like world war one vets who are like, PTSD as fuck and just like running around beating the shit out of people. Yeah, they just want to relive World War One, but in the comfort of uh, Germany and not like in the trenches. Yeah. So this this like all these fighting, all these fights and riots and whatnot going on between the brown shirts and the social democrats and communists. This diru- disruption and violence would really fuck with the internal stabilization of the interwar democratic government. And it would be a leading cause in the fall of the Weimar Republic. Yeah, because but, poor Weimar were just fucked already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Weimar was its uh, they, it had its own issues. Just so many parts. Like, 
depending on where you read and like what sources, some some place too you'll read that there was five or six parties in Germany. And then other sources I read, there were like 13 different parties vying for power in the Weimar Republic. And it just... Nothing it, could ever happen. <laughs> yeah. And it was like one step forward, two step backs every every month, every time there was like an election. And, and the Nazis coming in, they, they I feel like... I so bad for anybody in the Weimar Republic who was trying to make it work, like... First of all, you don't get the you, you come out the losing end of a first of a war, of like the first global war in history. Then you get you don't get the Roaring Twenties because you're saddled with having to pay for losing the first war world war in human history. And then you just get bitch slapped by the Great Depression right after not having to get the war in Roaring Twenties. And then as soon as that happens, like then the Nazis start coming to power and doing stuff, and you're like, oh God, how do we deal with them? And your government doesn't work. So you've got you know a dozen or so parties trying to figure shit out. A currency that's it like doesn't that has no value basically valueless like the 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 weimar republic like the hyperinflation that goes on you hear like stories of people literally this isn't a joke with they had to carry their money around in wheelbarrows because hyperinflation was so bad they had to carry so much money that their pockets like their trouser pockets couldn't hold the money so they would literally need to have wheelbarrows of money to go buy a loaf of bread some milk a rabbit for dinner and they were this is also like there was so much social unrest going on because there wasn't any food people were still like trying to come back from like the devastation of the first world war Weimar republic i mean with republics being the way they are everybody gets a say but when everybody gets a say nothing gets fucking done because people vote in their own self-interest at that moment but that also changes week to week month to month well, plus also in the 20s, you didn't just have the Nazis right around. You had communists, social democrats, anarchists, every like, you know, the whole spectrum of political parties were out there. And they weren't just like, you know, protesting. They were like throwing bombs, blowing shit up and like. Yeah. Jumping back to 1933 and Hitler being the chancellor and with all the suppression of all the parties except the Nazi party within Germany. The brown shirts had nothing to do anymore. Their main use had been to fight with all these other parties, you know, the, the social democrats, the communists. But now his rivals were banned by pretty much law. And I think we can all guess what idle men do. I mean, an army of violent drunks that don't have anything to do. There are no skulls to bash. I mean, don't they all just go home, live perfectly quiet and respectful lives? Fuck no. With no communists and Democrats to fight, these men began to run fucking roughshod in the streets all over the country. Uh, at this point, no one was safe from the brown shirts. Anyone who looked at them in the wrong direction or the wrong way would find themselves at their mercy. And they're the muscle of the Nazi party right now. Like, you can't just say no to these guys. And these men had little little mercy for anyone but themselves. And it's fucking crazy because even foreign diplomats weren't safe. There were complaints from several foreign offices in the mid-1933 era. The brown shirts were like, manhandling diplomats, patting them down or shaking them down, taking the money that they had on them, which is insane. That would be like yeah, our a diplomat big Russia right now being shook down for all of his pocket change. You don't get to hold up ambassadors. Yeah. I, it's, it's a different time when, uh, when that's happening with all this going on, Hitler, Hitler did not need this stuff going on. Hitler didn't need the negative press he was getting and it was somewhere in 1933, in the back of his mind, that Hitler decided the SA needed to be castrated. 
Hitler was going to have a hell of a time doing this, though, because the makeup of the brown shirts and because of their leader, Ernst Rom. Many of the brown shirts were some of the Nazi party's earliest and most devoted followers. The organization had given them a place and something to do during the Great Depression, during those turbulent times. It, it gave meaning to these men. Like It wasn't something they were just going to give up. It was a job, and it was a safety net for a lot of people. To add to that, yet Ernst Rome. Rome had been, obviously, as I said, an early Nazi member and marched with Hitler during his failed Beer Hall Putsch in 1923. Oddly enough, Rome. so did Ludendorff, which is crazy. Yeah, didn't, didn't like Ludendorff get arrested for that? No, I think it's a famous story. Ludendorff just walks up to the peop, to like the, the police who are about to, who are like a, are going to, who are, I think we're actively shooting at the uh, Nazis. And he just like walks up to their police line and says, let me through. And they go, oh, fuck, that's Ludendorff. And they just let him walk away. <laughs> he dies like a month or two later, just of old age. But like, he, he pulls like a Napoleon and just says, are you going to shoot your emperor or something? And just wanders off. During that, I think same thing, like uh, Rommel, no, not Rommel. Um, who's the, who's the uh, Luftwaffe guy? The Greg Gehring. Gehring. He gets shot, and that's what yeah. kicks off his morphine. Mor- yeah, he's a morphine addict after that. So, like, Ooh. he's getting shot next to people, in, like, in this. And Lindorf just wanders up to, like, the police guard, who's actively shooting at them, and goes, let me through. And they go, oh, yeah, no, yep, mm-hmm. he's cool. Rom had been, been with the Nazis since 1923, since their earliest days. And, like I said before, he was a veteran of the First World War, and he was a thug. Or a butcher, depending on who you asked. Rome, similar to some American gangsters, once bragged that he had executed 12 people in retaliation for one of his brown shirts being killed. To Rome, violence was a means to a political gains and victory. Rome wanted to extend this violence over the entire country, and he was also actively nagging Hitler to appoint him as the Minister of Defense, which is a scary fucking thought. This would be like, this would be like, Biden or Trump appointing El Chapo as the American Minister of Defense. Like, yeah, or for like, or for like something like back in that, they'd be like, Rose, like FDR looking around being like, oh man, we got some unrest in the country. Hey, bring me up that guy in Chicago. Um, Capone, Capone, Al Capone, he's, he's good at shit. Grab him. Yeah, exactly. Now, while Rome was trying to jockey for a position in the Nazi cabinet, the position he wanted, Minister of Defense, this was held at the moment by General Werner von Blomberg, a through-and-through Prussian general, picked right from the Prussian nobility. It's these old guard generals that I mentioned before that, like, held the German army, like, above the citizens and believed in the army and all that tradition crap we talked about earlier. It was Blomberg and most of his fellow officers that looked down on the brown shirts, called them a plebeian rabble, and worried that they would harm the army's standing within German society. The feelings in the ranks of the brown shirts towards the army were mutual. Uh, They believed that the army was not sufficiently committed to national socialism, which towards the end of the war, obviously nobody was committed to national socialism and didn't have the balls to carry out the revolution throughout the country. One officer went so far as to say, some of the officers of the army are swine. Most officers are too old and have to be replaced by young ones. We want to wait till Papa Hindenburg is dead, and then the SA will march again against the army. Papa Hindenburg, huh? Did they actually call him that? Like, is that I mean, this, a direct quote? This is a direct quote, yeah. Papa Hindenburg? Jesus. Are they throwing shade with that? Or, like, is that a, are they trying yeah. to be funny? Like, well, he was supposedly, like... Ah, ah, funny. More like... Oh, no, funny. He was supposedly really old. Well, not supposedly. He was really old at this point and was, like, kind of going, like, a bit senile. 
Oh, well, yeah, you'll see at the end, there is, like, a instance where you, you see Hindenburg is kind of... Well, didn't Hitler take advantage of that back in, like, 33 to get himself kind of appointed chancellor by Hindenburg? Like, the fact that Hindenburg wasn't, like, all there mentally? <laughs> yeah, no, Hindenburg was all about Hitler. He thought uh, Hitler was going to really stabilize the country, which... Uh, because he thought Hitler would be someone everyone would get behind and, like, stop fighting each other once. Okay, fine, I'll appoint this guy, and they'll stop killing each other for him. Yeah, well, worked out so well for him. Also, this quote that we just said is super, like, threatening. Like, then the SA will march against the army. Can you imagine if, like, because the, the, the brown shirts were, like, they had a lot of members. It'd be like the National Guard saying, like, yeah, once Biden's gone, we'll march on the army. It's like, what? <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, that's wild. Well, well, you also have to remember, Treaty of Versailles is still in effect right now. The German army can legally only be 100,000 men, and they cannot have an air force. How many people are in the SA? Uh, I will we'll get there. You'll you'll hear in a couple of couple of paragraphs here. It makes it even more terrifying. No wonder the yeah. army didn't like these guys because they were like, "Fuck no, <laughs> these guys yeah, are well, scary." The army couldn't stand up to the SA brown shirts. If the brown shirts pretty much mobilized completely, the army wouldn't have stood a chance. Yeah. So to top off tension, both Blomberg and Rom had very different ideas on how the German army should be reformed. Blomberg saw the brown shirts as, you know, a perfect place to recruit from, you know, build the German army back up. But at that moment, because the German army was limited to the Treaty of Versailles, Blomberg had his hands tied and the German army couldn't exceed 100,000 men, which is nothing. 100,000 men is literally nothing. Especially for a country the size of Germany with like, what, 100 million people? I mean, one German army corps during like the First World War is like half a million men. No, it's like oh it's, shit. No, it's like it's not that many, but it's 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 like forty, fifty thousand oh. kind of people. Okay. But they had I mean, dozens of those. Still a lot of fucking men. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of people. Well, what was it? Seven hundred thousand people was what invaded Belgium as the flanking force. So like seven times their army. Yeah. Now Rome, on the other hand, he was not obligated to follow the Treaty of Versailles. The brown shirts weren't considered air quotes whoosh, whoosh, part of the army. Whoosh, whoosh. And by the beginning of 1934, the brown shirts surpassed 3 million enrolled men. So that's what? Yeah. Three, yep. So that's 100,000 men in the army officially, and then 3 million brown shirts. That's brown so- shirts outnumbered them 10 to fucking 1. No, more. No, 30 to 1. 30 to 1. So this is like if Antifa just got like 3 million people. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like if they like they, like no wonder the army was like absolutely like thought these people needed to go right away. So like if they decide to actually act against us, we're fucked. We can't do anything. If I was in the army, then I'd bail. I, I think the I think the I think the brass was uh, very terrified. They're like, yeah, no, nobody's going to stand up to these brown shirts. There's literally millions of them. Like, oh, all of a sudden we just have an insurrection in the country. <laughs> yeah, the insurrection is the country. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Because these guys are like everywhere; they're just dispersed. They can just like show up and yeah, well, I mean, that'd, that'd be a, that's a bad place to be. Three million I mean, people of a paramilitary group in a country like that—that's nuts. Yeah, that, I mean that's like what Nick said. That would be like Antifa having three million men across the country, or like you know the KKK. Well, I'm no, sure the KKK. No, has I think I think I, I think in ratios because like what there's like 330 million people in the US. It'd be like the Antifa having 30 million people or so. Jesus Christ. And like these. How many Germans were there? About a hundred and some million at the time? I couldn't tell you. Not something I. Not something I know 
off the top of my head, the population of Germany in 1934. I think the ratio of that, I think, is like is ridiculous. Like that's that's a, that's a huge chunk of the population. Five hundred and forty million. Oh wait, sorry. Uh, eighty million. Sorry, I was read incorrectly. But yeah, eighty million. Um, yeah. Eighty million and three million of them are a paramilitary group. I guess a hundred thousand normal people or normal army soldiers. That's astonishing. Like that really speaks a lot to the the political climate in Germany at that time. Like, and I have to imagine like all these guys are pretty radicalized at this point, right? Like, yeah, they've been street fighting for it. Extremists might be a a proper label to place upon them. Yes, sir. Absolutely, one hundred percent would be. I mean, these guys, and they they weren't just going to give this up. I mentioned it before, like. The brown shirts, like, it gave them a purpose during a time when nobody had fucking purpose because there was nothing to do because it was the Great Depression. Okay, I just did a quick uh, little equation here. Okay, the 3 million brown shirts to 80 million Germans, right? That works out roughly in ratio to the American population today is 330 million. That would be 12 million 300,000 <laughs> people. That is that's brown more than whatever. New York City's fucking population. I think that's more than that's more than any city in the U.S. population. I think it is. I think I think New York City is the biggest one at ten million. I think now. Eight. I thought it was eight. Is L.A. not bigger? No, New York City. That's where what you count as L.A. because like L.A. County or like L.A. city. Like yeah, whatever. that's I mean, wild. I think, it's, I think it's still bigger than L.A. as a whole. <laughs> Either way, like at the end of the day, this gave Rom Ernst Rom definitely held the upper hand in this standoff, and he fucking knew it. Because in January of nineteen thirty four. Rom gave Blumberg a memorandum demanding that the brown shirts replace the army, which I can see. I can see where Rom like had the fucking balls and the gumption to do it. Yeah, that's gonna, crazy. If this had gone through, I'm sure it would have. There would have been some growing pains, obviously, but it would just almost be almost be seamless. Going brown well, shirts are now the army, and just doing that fucking little switcheroo. Get and all the those men into barracks, and then you've got a three million man army right there already. Yeah, like had, had Hitler been on Rom's side with this, it would have been a no brainer. Yeah, it would have been simple. It had been like more of a like a like a like a clerk kind of thing. Like oh, you just have to write, you have to make put the writing. And I mean, even if like half those people didn't, you know, show up to their barracks on like their draft day or whatever, even if half, that's still one point five million men. That's still yeah. huge. Yeah. So, and with this memorandum in hand, Blomberg went running to Hitler like a fucking pansy. Hitler now had to find a solution between his like strongman Rom and the army, which, as we know, Hitler desperately wanted to try and impress and win the army high command over because the army high command also didn't look kindly on Hitler, and as I said before, and the Nazi Party. Well, and Hitler didn't want a civil war to break out because it's uh, it, the army may be only a hundred thousand people, but it still had significant standing with just the rest of the German population. He yeah. probably had better firepower too, right? Uh, yes. Um, yes. Well, it had at least like a lot, probably a lot more heavy weapons, artillery, uh, they, armor. They, they had heavy weapons, but they didn't start the tank training till like the mid '30s in the Soviet Union and the Luftwaffe. Still wasn't a thing yet. But wasn't During, it also that like the the, the hundred thousand that the Vers- Treaty of Versailles allowed was like never really followed, even like immediately after the treaty was signed, kind of thing. The German army was like, yeah, "Fuck that, hundred thousand is nothing. We're not we're not doing that." And they had like under the radar, kind of like 
they're not in the military, but they're definitely Wehrmacht. Yeah, well, they were they were also doing that in in Russia too, where they were like experimenting with like tanks, like all their all their new Panzer twos and threes and fours. They were experimenting and testing Blitzkrieg tactics in yeah. Russia, but it was under nobody nobody fucking knew about it because the Russians are going through the civil war and. Yeah, the Treaty of Versailles is kind of fucked because they beat the Russians, but then the Germans lost the war. So it, it's kind of kind of weird, like all the side dealings that they so had. The Russians lost a shitload then. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's all basically, like, I think Hitler just didn't want to have a civil war breakout because that would be extremely costly to like what his like future world vision kind of thing. His future German vision. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. His future German vision did not involve a few hundred thousand Germans trying to fight him for power. No. So Hitler decided to call for a meeting, you know, with these these top brown shirt brass, uh, Ernst Rum, and then he also called to the meeting the army high command, including General Blomberg. General Blomberg would be the army's main liaison, but you can't just have brown shirts and the, the army talking. You got to bring in more men that like support you, Hitler, right? So you got to bring in people like you know Heinrich Himmler, leader of the SS. You got to bring in Goering leader of the soon-to-be Luftwaffe, but he was also, like, high in the Nazi cabinet. He was, like, minister of petroleum and, like, resources and, like, whatnot in, in Nazi Germany. Yeah, Gary so Hitler, up a lot of weird offices for some reason. Yeah, but so, like, Hitler, like, stacked this meeting so hard against Rom. Like, Rom came in with the upper hand of having three million brown shirts, but Hitler stacked the meeting with, you know, his supporters, his Heinrich Himmlers, his Goerings, his his Blombergs. And it was, it was pretty much a one-sided meeting from the start. So at this meeting, Hitler made straight out demands that Rom rescind all of his requests. And he even got Rom to admit the supremacy of the Reichswehr. Uh, sorry, I changed that up out of nowhere. The Reichswehr, that's just the German army. So yeah, Hitler got Rome to admit the supremacy of the Reichswehr instead of the other way around. The brown shirts would now be relegated to be an auxiliary force of the army, the opposite of what Rome was demanding. After, after Hitler, the SS, the German high command all left that meeting, Rom stated publicly to some of the brown shirts and even some of the German army high command that he would not take instructions from that, quote, ridiculous corporal, end quote. And I can promise you one thing, if you really, really want to speed up your career in Nazi Germany, definitely got to call Hitler the ridiculous corporal. Swear to God. It's going to speed up your career. Speed it all the way up to the grave. Because in the end, all this meeting wound up doing was deep in the rift between the brown shirts and Rom and the rest of the Nazi party in high command. Yeah, Rom kind of made a bit of a political blunder on that that one. (laughs) He made a political blunder, but you also have to remember, he's not a political man. He also thinks he's pretty secure in his position with three million, you know, rabid dogs at his back. Yeah, well, what happens when those dogs get isolated? (laughs) So, in early 1934, other members in Hitler's inner circle were also starting to butt heads with Rom and the brown shirts. Hermann Goering, Joseph Goebbels, Heinrich Himmler, and Rudolf Hess all started to feed the growing fear that the brown shirts might one day seize power from them and Hitler by force. After all, the brown shirts did outnumber the actual army at this point. I mean, Rome had continued to demonstrate his independence from the Nazi party. Instead of loyalty to the party, 
He still held the view that the SA would be the dominant army of Germany. With the rift between Rom and Hitler growing even deeper, another man decided to throw his hat into the ring for his own personal gain. And here's that chancellor, one of the previous chancellors, Kurt von Schleicher. He decided to step out of the political retirement by agreeing with Rom, siding with Rom. He vocally criticized Hitler's cabinet. And again, criticism of Hitler's cabinet or Hitler himself really isn't going to get you that far. With Schleicher throwing his unimportant political weight behind Rom, stoked fears in Hitler and his inner circle that the two were scheming together to become top figureheads within Germany. Now, you can really see how like this made a recipe for murder and disaster. What a fool Kurt was. <laughs> yeah, Kurt really fucked up. I mean, he would, he was the ex-chancellor. He thought he could get away, you know, just live out his life. And he could have. I bet he, he absolutely have. would have. <laughs> but no, he just decided right now, like, no, I want to get back into the political ring. He just wanted Hitler out. He let's really go, hated Hitler. Let's go kick this hornet's nest again. I'm sure nothing will happen. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. doesn't work out for him. In order to isolate Rom, the Gestapo is transferred to the command of Heinrich Himmler. And this other huge pile of shit known as Reidhard, Reidhard Heydrich would eventually go on to commit heinous war crimes in the Holocaust and against American POWs during the Second Ardennes Offensive. Himmler was already in control of the SS, and under his command, it was beginning like a new recruitment strategy that would eventually become like the Third Reich's most elite fighting force. This would be like the counter to Rom's power. Now, let's fast forward a couple of months to January, February of 1934. Now... Let's fast forward from January, February of 1934 to the summer of 1934. The SS had now been reconstructed under Himmler and 100% loyal to Hitler. As we mentioned before, you know, the SS is now taking their oath of loyalty to Hitler and the Nazi party. All these guys needed now was the go sign from Hitler to take out Rom and the SA brown shirts. However, at this point, Hitler was still acting pretty indecisive about Rom and the brown shirts and didn't know what to do about them. So, he got a little push. The German foreign minister did know what to do. On June 15th, Hitler left for Venice, Italy to meet with Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. It's for a nice little friendly summit, you know. Big dick dictators and meeting in Italy. Well, it's kind of funny. At this point, they didn't really see eye to eye on most things. No, and at this point, Mussolini is actually the superior dictator. Yeah, he's got a better thing going for him. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, until, until like, what, 1933 when he gets his ass kicked? And until it suddenly, to... abruptly isn't. <laughs> so, the foreign minister, Baron... God damn it, another German one. Baron Kottenstein von Neuth... I think that's a German of uh, Constantine, or, like, Constantin. Baron Constantine von Neuther... Neuth... Nurath? 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 Baron Constantine von Nurath. He ordered the German ambassador to, to Italy talk with Mussolini before Hitler got there. So there's already like a little bit of, you know, kind of poke Mussolini in the right way or, you know, this guy's Mussolini. a fucking political like spider master. If he's pulling this kind of shit. Yeah. It's insane. Like th this whole part is insane. So the, the German foreign minister tells the ambassador to Italy from Germany. He wants him to inform, like have Mussolini inform Hitler that the SA, they were intolerable because of their violence, hooliganism, their homosexuality was putting a black mark on Hitler and Hitler's world reputation, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, cause they're, they're, well, cause they're, they're like the Nazi enforcers. They're closely associated with Hitler. Yeah. So and, and so now this is Mussolini telling Hitler this at this summit that the SA are just because an, because the German ambassador told him that who was pushed to tell him that by the German foreign minister behind Hitler's back. That's some like backroom dealing if I've ever seen it. It's insane. Like just like little webs, and that's why this topic was also so fucking hard to cover because of all shit like this. Yeah. So and it's fucking crazy though. Because at the end of the day, this ruse seems to have worked on Hitler. And after the summit with Mussolini, Hitler made up his mind of declawing the SA for good. Where did the comment on homosexuality come from? Were the SA just banging each other this whole time or what? That's actually kind of, it becomes kind of part of the big deal of it because yeah. um, it's, one of the, it's one of the charges Hitler does label against them or lay yeah, against so them later on. You'll, you'll find out like later on, uh, Ernst... I, I haven't mentioned it up till now, but I was going to kind of save it for the end. But Ernst Rome is uh, gay. He is sleeping with like a bunch of the top brass of the S.A. Brown shirts. A lot of the S.A. Brown shirts, they're just very free sexually. What's funny, what? I can't tell if that's true or not, because like the Nazi party like dogma is incredibly homophobic. Yeah, if there's anybody who hates the gays, it's Hitler. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know if that's like that's just something they decided like, oh, that's it was, to throw No, it was something that Hitler literally looked over. Like he made comments. He was like, "I don't approve of this, but we need Rom, and that's that's why he kept him around." Well, it makes sense for Hitler to say that because Rom, being like a homosexual, being gay, fits with Hitler's reasoning later on to take him out. So Hitler could be rewriting history for his own ends, kind of thing. Interesting. So like, I, like so I haven't read a thing like when they. Well, we'll we'll get to that later. Well, technically, okay, yeah, well, Rom was found with, yeah, we'll get into it, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there, we'll get to that, when it comes up, we'll talk about that. So, in an odd turn of events, then-sitting president Paul von Hindenburg approached General Blomberg and made mention that due to Hitler's inactions against the SA, he was probably going to declare martial law over Germany and have the army take over, which... You know, Hindenburg saying that, you know, Hindenburg's also probably going senile at this point. He's so. in his 80s, I think, at this point, like late 80s. Um, he's been a soldier his whole life. And and with Hitler hearing this, like this eventually gets back to Hitler, it pushed him into fucking high gear. But to be honest, this man always seems like he's in high gear. So, Well, it's also Hitler needs to get ahead of this because if Hindenburg has the idea, gets it to Bloomberg and Bloomberg carries it out, then it's going to seem like Hitler was not capable of dealing with his own brown shirts, which yeah. will like, cut him politically. It, it shows like inaction on his part and that he can't. Yeah, or like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Hitler finally decided he needed to act against Rom, purge him, purge him and the higher ups in the SA, and maybe even get a little even with some of his political enemies from at the time or in the past. There's always some people that need to go when you're trying to consolidate absolute power. Yeah, I mean, just gotta get rid of you gotta get rid of everybody, past and present. Oh yeah. Uh, so he turned the details of this purge over to Heinrich Himmler, Hermann Goring, and uh, Reinhard Heydrich, who all had something to also gain through this purge. Himmler and Heydrich's SS would eliminate a rival. Goering would eliminate a potential rival for head of the army. And to make this purge seem like it was legitimate, the SS compiled in a huge dossier of manufactured evidence stating that Rom had taken a 12 million Reichsmark bribe from France to overthrow Hitler. Now, why France had 12 million Reichsmarks burning a hole in their pocket at that time, I have no clue. Also, how much is 12 million Reichsmarks 
worth in 1934. 1933, like, it's actually worth a little bit more since the German German economy had so like instead of a pack well. of gum, like a broken motorcycle. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it was like the door of a Volkswagen, maybe. Okay, so you can get two thirds of a Volkswagen. So the leadership of the SS was shown all this manufactured evidence and a list of people inside and outside of the SA to be killed or taken prisoner, which just means they were killed in prison. After this, there's a lot. And this is what I mentioned before. There's a lot of the political backdoor dealing spiderweb bullshit that goes on from June 25th through the 30th with notes being taken, notes being passed, orders given and rescinded. If I would have to include all this, I mean, this would take up an entire 20 or 30 minute little part in this podcast. And so I'm just going to try to sum it up real fucking quick, which is it's doing a disservice to the history, but I, I highly recommend going and maybe doing your own research into these like couple of days because it's insane what goes on, just the, the political intrigue and dealing. So on June 25th, the army was put onto its highest alert. And Rom was expelled from the German Officers League, effectively throwing him out of the army and isolating him and the brown shirts. Then, on June 28th, Hitler went to a wedding celebration in Essen where he gave Rom and the other brown shirt leaders order to meet him in Bad Bessem, which has, which it was like a little hotel slash spa place. Uh, and he just ordered them there for a meeting. And it was said that this meeting was going to take place on June 30th. Finally, on June 29th, an article appeared in the Volkischer Beobachter from the head of the army, Blomberg himself, stating that the army stood behind Hitler and the sitting government. How Rom saw this and like read this article and didn't realize what it meant was kind of dumb on his part, if you ask me, which no one did. Yeah, no one, no one really did ask you, but seeing as we're asking the question. <laughs> but either way, if I were in that position, that's when I've gotten the fuck out of Dodge. Like when the army is now like, yeah, we stand by Hitler and not by you. Especially when they've been so combative to Hitler all the way up until like a day ago. <laughs> you know you're fucked at that point. Then you're point. invited to a private conference in the woods with no witnesses. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing about Bad Vessen. It is just like a little tiny little spa town. Like, there is not much going on there. Like, hey, you want to go to Chico Hot Springs with just me and my closest (laughs) hundred friends and you? Just you. Nobody else. (laughs) So, now all the pieces had been set, and it was time for Hitler to purge Germany, this new upstart rabble. On June 30th, Hitler flew to Munich, a city which Jackson and I have been to, and it's quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. Especially all the beer we got to drink during Oktoberfest several years back great too <laughs> it does poorly label it's uh beer halls on which one the pooch actually happened at i mean i understand why but it, m- messed that I, up. I also do love i'm literally drinking the hofbrau munich oktoberfest right now and it, it's it such good happy. like it's it's like it's not it's it's so it's kind of like normal like just kind of basic beer but it's it's like drinking like a like a pbr but it tastes actually good it's a, like a, it's good, a good pbr lot. that's six and a half percent too for real six yeah. and a half Six and a half percent. It's fucking insane. Well, fuck me. So it's it's better on all counts. Yeah, I also go next year. Can we go next uh, year? Uh, so I'm working on it. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. We're gonna fucking do it. Oktoberfest. No, let's do Oktoberfest 2024. Let's do that. What's wrong with 2023? 
I'm going to Peru. Oh, yeah, that's, that's in, right. That's in March. Yeah, that's in March. I'm not going to fucking Germany like six months later. Why not, dude? When'd you get so soft? Because it's because Oktoberfest is also super fucking expensive. It is expensive. I think it's like in Munich and Germany. Without without free flights, like how me and Jackson used to do it because we worked for the airline. Without free flights, Oktoberfest at minimum is going to be twenty five hundred dollars. All right, that's yeah. That seems that seems like a pretty low estimate. Yeah, Jackson should probably have a job before we go. Yeah, I would also love to have a job. No, no, because it's funny that you guys, you actually mentioned this, Nick, because I literally was thinking about it, but I was like, hmm, I'll do like one international trip a year and then I'll try to keep it like, you know, one big one a year. So I was thinking already 2024, either cage diving in South Africa with great whites or Oktoberfest. Very different, but. Well, I will not be doing cage diving with you. So yeah, but cage diving. that one's all you. Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, well, sharks are like my third biggest fear, and uh, well, I'm not trying to number, confront that. Well, my number, number one fear is too. My number one fear I is drowning. So, wait, hey, I have a question, Nick. Yeah, you can you can edit this like parts out, right? Yeah, but I don't think I'm gonna want to. Damn, so I wanted to go mind. grab another beer. Oh well. No, What's your good. question? I wanted to go grab another beer. All right, well, go get another beer, and me and Jackson will banter while you're gone. Okay. Nick, though, cage diving does sound pretty fantastic. In a horrifying sense. Does it? Sense. Like, I don't know, man. I've seen Shark Week. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> well, like, you know, you know like, people go, like, you know, like, go skydiving when they're afraid of heights and shit. Yeah, I'm not doing that either. Well, yeah, you should. Heights is my number one. Wait, what's your number one? Heights. Heights. Sharks are up there. Well, it's like sharks like being afraid of lightning. They they don't really get you. Actually, lightning's the more dangerous one of the two. All right. Well, what's your greatest fear there, Jackson? I guess my actually, I take it back. My biggest fear is burning to death. My second biggest fear is heights, and my third biggest fear is sharks. How Those about you, Jackson? Uh, burning to death, really? Well, burning yeah, to death bro. is just painful the whole time it happens. Have you, you seen get, that Game of Thrones episode out. where they no. burn that witch that yep. like cursed Danny's child? You haven't seen that shit? Remember the Game of Thrones one where they burn the uh, little girl? Oh. She's like screaming for her mother the whole time. Like, Brutal. Yeah, that, that shit's fucked up. Right also, let's hear your biggest fears then since we're here. Oh, um, drowning's definitely number one. But like, uh, yeah, that, like you, know, you ever seen Pearl Harbor? Like the, the shitty oh, one yeah. with Ben Affleck? Yeah. You know course. that point where they're like in the, the you see the soldiers look homo with like the water rising? They're like, yeah. oh boy, this is it. I saw that when I was a kid. And I, that fucked me. I was, I'm terrified of that particular scenario yeah Which so it's sense, like, like scuba dive a bunch i want to go cave diving but anyway uh i think past that burning death is pretty pretty good heights i don't like heights very much even though a pilot and i rock climb a bunch what i feel like that's different though I, I, okay i don't okay i rock climb a bunch but i i don't do like i don't like the ropes and stuff because mostly i don't trust that like the mechanism like they have auto belays yeah. at the place i go to they're like if you they're kind of like a seatbelt where if you like if it pulls fast enough it slows and lets you down slowly yeah i don't trust that at all even no. though i have no basis for that whatsoever and they work fine all the time i've seen some pretty fucked up tiktoks of people just getting shit whipped into the side of a rock wall well that's because they're like free climbing on like the side of a cliff and they like their um points pull out of the, their mounts pull out connor what are your greatest fears Oh god! Other than a, a crushing fear of being inadequate to your family. 
God damn. <laughs> what is with these burns? These burns hurt today. I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. Was, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to get so personal. Right? No, Nick, that was a good one. Nick, that was I'm a like, good one. I'm like three white claws in, bro. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a lightweight today. I'm hungover. I'm still drinking beer over here. You got to break out the whiskey. My biggest Ooh. fear would be... My biggest fear would be, like, you know, I guess kind of similar with Jackson's being, like, more more being dragged under water or shark attack. I, like, just the whole idea and concept of, like, something latching onto you and pulling you down. Eating you to death. Yeah. So, yeah, because it's the double double scare because, like, not only are you drowning, and that's going to fucking suck, but then you also have the pain of being ripped to shreds. I think one of mine also would be, like, um, either, I think my next two, like, my, my bombed fears are either, like, they kind of go as toss-up for two and three, but one is either being, like, like put in, like, a solitary confinement thing, yeah. where you use, like, a slot for food and you get a place to shit for the rest of your life kind of thing. Yeah. You stay there. and Like, like if you ended one, up in, like, a fucking, some random jail in East Asia and they just threw you away and locked, forgot about you. Mm-hmm. you. And you just basically just sit inside and look at the same couple of walls for the next 50 years until you die because you you literally couldn't kill yourself or the other one would be um probably uh like that like you know how in um um new hope when they're about to be slowly crushed to death by the uh oh yeah for sure i read a, i read a book once it was actually kind of like a young adult like spy thriller but this kid was about to be pulled like this like the, the main character was being tortured by the super villain or whatever and he was going to be put he was being put on a conveyor belt through a um a sugar crushing thing which crushes sugarcane just the rollers oh but it does it really slowly oh no and i was thinking that's like oh you would just feel you would feel it the whole time you're dying dude you get the luxury of passing out oh it's all, all right. right uplifting all right that was a great halftime convo <laughs> great halftime and i got beer we need to have like a like an like a um exclusive club where they can hear that kind of shit how, should we, the should half, we start the a halftime content show? Start a Patreon. I was just thinking of Patreon. Oh, like, we need a Patreon. Nick, you're thinking you're entrepreneuring over here. When they pay us to hear us talk about the worst ways we think to die. Listeners, hit us up on Instagram. Would you pay one dollar a month to hear us banter about random nonsense on Patreon? We'll drink <laughs> way. We'll drink way more. It'll be. It'll be good. It'll be good. We'll do, we'll us, do shots. Uh, oh yes. If someone actually oh. paid, like you ever listen to those podcasts where people just banter about random nonsense, like that's literally what their like their model of the podcast is, and they yeah. seem to have like so many listeners and viewers. It's like what the fuck? Those you guys are all comedians. Do- we yeah, should but- have Nick host the next History Face Off, Jackson. Oh, I'm in. Would you be down? Because we actually need to do. I would. I've been. I've been thinking about trying his- to figure that out. The History Face Off was pretty fucking fun. That was a lot of fun. That was that was a blast. Let's do it. I'm I'm down. Nick. Okay. You okay with oh. come up with questions for us? Sure. Hell yeah. Okay, we wanna, we'll keep going on this one, I guess. So, all the pieces have now been set, and it was time for Hitler to purge Germany of this upstart rabble. On June 30th, Hitler flew to Munich, a city which Jackson and I have obviously been to, as we mentioned. Uh, there had been a rampage of the SA in the city the night before, and Hitler was a bit annoyed by the disorder within the city. Hitler yelled and screamed at the Munich chief of police and ripped the epaulets off his uniform, and the man was then drug off to jail. That's just disrespectful. 
No, it was, I mean, he was pretty much just spit in this man's face. Do you think it was staged? Like, he planned it this whole time? Like, just. I, it's also like, you know, a lot of this, like, what we're about to cover, too, is like a lot of it might actually be staged and be just Nazi propaganda. But, like, you also have a lot of foreign reporters in Germany at the time who do report on this stuff. Um, but, you know, we don't need to worry too much about this poor chief of police. Because he's not going to live to see the end of the day. He he gets shot. He gets shot at the end of the day, actually. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> so after the he chief... He didn't do anything wrong. He was just there. Oh, well, I think he was kind of in sympathy with the SA. So that's mm-hmm. a no-go. Hitler can't have that. After the chief of police was taken, Hitler and a large group of SS men loaded up into vans and went over to Bad Vessen Hotel where Rom and the other SA leadership were staying that morning. Hitler and the SS arrived at seven, 6 or 7 a.m., depending on who you ask, and while the SA leadership is still sleeping off the alcohol from that rampage I mentioned. Hitler tricked the entire SA leadership to be in one place at one time, saying there was a meeting later that day on the 30th. But then Hitler shows up with the SS, a huge group of them too, I might add, at 6 or 7 a.m., that's going to really throw you for a loop, especially if you're... You're wearing off a hangover at 7 in the morning. You're in a bad way. So this is obviously going to take the entire SA leadership by surprise when a large group of armed men stormed into their rooms, led by Hitler himself. And it was then said that Hitler is the one who places them all under arrest. Now, several of the SA leaders were found in bed with other men and other SA leaders. And all these people were ordered out of bed. So you have naked men running around, throwing on clothing, being arrested, thrown in the cuffs. It's, It's total disorder and chaos. Hitler pretty much, like, he took the entire head of the SA and he castrated them in the most humiliating, debauched way. As I said, several of the SA leaders were found in bed with other men ordered out of bed, and some of them were literally just taken out back and shot on the spot. And I did not mean, like, for that to rhyme. Shot on the spot, you know? Boom, chicka, boom, chicka. Okay, I, uh, my rapping career ends here. After the arrest at that hotel, the Bad Vessen, Hitler went to the party headquarters in Munich and gave a speech to an assembled crowd of confused citizens and SA members lucky enough to have evaded capture. <laughs> Hitler denounced the SA leadership and made them out to be homosexual devils, corrupting Germany from within. And the crowd cheered. And I assume the SA members hiding within the crowd also cheered at this point. because are like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Those poor fucks just like hiding in the crowd. Like, okay, well, time to go burn this uniform. Yeah, they were terrible. I knew it all along. Oh, my God. So after his speech, Goebbels, who had been with Hitler through... And Goebbels was also... Hitler's propaganda minister, he had been with him throughout this entire series of events. So Goebbels is obviously going to spin it one way for propaganda use. Goebbels, who had been with him throughout the entire like events of July 30th, July 2nd, he telegraphed Goering at 10 a.m., gave him the orders to loose the Klobri. Oh, God, another fucking German word. Klobri. Colabri. Either these guys were these Colabri. They, they were an execution squad. That's all that matters. Yeah, and th- this execution squad was released on 
all the other unsuspecting victims in the SA across the country. Many of these victims would be round up and brought to Stadelhelm. Of course, I can pronounce that one fucking right off the bat. Stadelhelm Prison, where they were given fair trials and the innocent were released back into the citizenry. Just fucking kidding. Most of these men were given literally what they called one-minute trials. I like that there were so many of them that came up with an actual name for it. Yeah, one. it, it was literally Joseph Goebbels was like, yeah, these were one-minute trials, and people were like, that sounds good to us. He sounds guilty to me. Just look at him. So did they just murder fucking three million people in one night? Like, what? Not. not uh, you'll find out. Uh, it. We don't think it hit the millions. A lot of the brown shirts kind of, like the very lower level people, they kind of just blend back into the citizenry and like eventually join the army. Okay. Uh, it's, just, it's just a lot of the leadership. Why the fuck would you join the army after that? I'd be bouncing out of Germany if I well, cause they're, came you're, that you're getting, close to you're death. Getting, you're getting drafted at that point. Yeah, yeah tr- true that. I guess I didn't have an option. I remember how many people tried to flee to Canada during at least the, the, during the Vietnam War, trying to get, uh, avoid the draft. All the and hippies. that was even like the U.S. didn't actively even pursue those kind of people. Can you imagine how the, what the fucking Nazis did to find you? Yeah, They'd go after your family and be like, "Hey, it looks like your sister's getting drafted. If you're not, and you're like, well, uh, what?" <laughs> so, as I said, most of these men, all these SA leaders, were given one minute trials, and whereupon groups of them were literally taken to courtyard in different prisons and they were just shot by a firing squad i mean there was there was no it it, it was it was extrajudicial i mean trials are very very hard like it's it's tough to fit trial to that particular scenario hitler had all the power he had the judges he had the firing squads he knew what he was doing the the trial was never going to give a non-guilty verdict like no they were they're innocent the whole time that was never going to happen and it's crazy too because Unfortunately, for the people of Germany, the purge wasn't just limited to the SA. Hitler used the chaos to also take out political opponents. Social Democrats and communists who were in jail also became targets of Hitler and the SS. Goering, Hermann Goering, used the opportunity to storm the chancellery, and he arrested the vice chancellor, uh, von Papen. And his inner circle. I mean, this would That's, be like the National Guard walking in and arresting Kamala Harris right now. And her cabinet. I mean... <laughs> okay. Alright. Here we go. So the SS Martin... It's fucking crazy, though, because it actually gets crazier in this scenario. The SS marched into the Vice Chancellor's office. They shot his secretary in the building without bothering to even fucking arrest him. What? That's just rude. <laughs> And then they killed the they they killed his closest associate Edgar Young, who he just wasn't even like. I mean, he was a close associate, but he had just written one of Papin's inflammatory speeches. They got to kill the guy, the speechwriter. He obviously is part of it. Clearly, he he feels the same way. And not even religion was safe during the Night of the Long Knives. Leader of the Catholic Action was also murdered for being too close to Papin. Papin himself would also be arrested while protesting against them, stating that he couldn't be arrested due to his position as vice chancellor. So that's mm-hmm. just him getting carried. Oh, you can't arrest me. I'm vice chancellor. I'm like, vice chancellor as he's there, they're putting the gun to his head. I don't think yeah. they give a shit who he is and like what his position is at that point. Okay. If you're the vice Pope, you're dying. Yeah. You're it's game over, brother. 
Hitler wasn't the only one to set scores that day either. Himmler used the Gestapo to murder the previous chancellor, Kurt von Schleicher, that poor fucking schluck who literally made it to retirement and could have just lived out the rest of his life. You gotta know when to lay the gloves down, man. Like, you just gotta know, like, hey, you're, you can't box anymore. Back out. He yeah, and leave the fucking country. Holy shit. Christ, yeah. right? So, Himmler sent a fucking squad of goons over to Kurt von Schleicher's house, murdered Kurt von Schleicher, decided that wasn't enough, and then fucking shot his wife, too. Oh my god, that is in their, brutal. In their home. In their home. Jesus. Gregor Strasse, he was also killed as having previously like angered Hitler after resigning from the party in 1932. And Gre- these are just like... Who was this guy? Very- Gregor- Who was Gregor Strasser? Gregor Strasser, he was the big financier of the Nazi party in the early days. And he- when Hitler really started to take power during like, the late 20s and 30s, Gregor Strasser removed himself from the party because he didn't want to be associated with Hitler, even though he pretty much like set up the stage for Hitler. Oh, uh, no, I bet Hitler, I bet Hitler killed him because the, the National Socialist Party was quasi-communist early on, and they couldn't have major like industrial moguls or money-rich people funding them, even though that's exactly what Hitler did. I bet Gregor Strasser was uh, either like somebody who controlled money or was rich. Oh, he was and very they, rich. Yeah, so Hitler couldn't have him tying him to, you know, like, oh, I didn't get my money from rich people. I got it from, you know, the working common Joes. Speaking of the early days of the Nazi party, Gustav Carr, the man who had put down the Nazi beer hall pooch in 1923, he was also murdered. But he was murdered in the literal most horrific way possible. His body was found in the woods outside of Munich, supposedly hacked to death, by a group of men with pickaxes. Not oh. axes, fucking pickaxes. Oh Jesus. my god, dude. What? Why couldn't you just shoot him and be done with it? Like, Hitler must have had an actual grudge against the guy who arrested him in Munich 10 years ago, like 10 years before this, because, like, that guy was just doing his job, most likely. Hitler knew how to hold a fucking grudge. That's for fucking sure. Jesus, pickaxes? Why these guys oh. got so many pickaxes laying around? Like, how many times in your life have you seen a fucking pickaxe in person? Like, two I times? Mean, all right, not to, not to be, be strange about that, but, like, I had a couple when I was a kid. They used to dig a lot of holes. They're surprisingly useful in the, in the art of digging holes. You would, Jackson. You would be the guy that... Nick, we had one at the house we lived out yeah, over yeah. on Cover where was, Street. What were you looking at? There was a pickaxe there. Was there? Yes. There was How a pickaxe I, in our garage, Nick. How did I use it to break up the ground to reseed yeah. it before you moved in? All right, yeah. well, I, let's be reasonable. I didn't go into the garage a whole lot, and I was real fucked up the whole time we lived there, so my memory can't be uh I also like, love how the garage almost turned into Kurt's apartment. Kurt almost moved into the garage. Dude, he's like, he's like, I'll just sleep in my car. I'm like, dude, no. <laughs> what? It's the middle of winter. No, you won't. Kurt, you won't die there. Yeah, well, you're not doing that, man. Like, Oh, I mean, so this, this poor fucking guy was ripped to shreds in the woods outside of Munich by pickaxe. Uh, just pickaxe. It gets you pickaxe. It's like, pickaxe isn't, isn't, that's not a clean, like, like, if you, had Dude, someone, if you like, yeah. behead someone with an axe, that at least kills you. Supposedly, your head might last for a little while. The French told us about that. But, like, a pickaxe, you can't even get that far. Like you're how, just, many t- how many pickaxe hits do you think he, he took before he died, It was died, a group of bro? men. I don't know, oh, probably, like, four or five. God. He probably lived so long. Oh, uh, yeah. 
That's unless awful. they just straight up hit him in the head or heart, bro. I gotta imagine it was like at least like a five minute ordeal. I know, right? Like, imagine like five minutes of just being pickaxed. Yeah, like shit. Oh, I mean, it was a day of murder and mayhem within Germany, and it seemed like obviously nobody was fucking safe. Even the small political parties that Hitler had agreed and like, so Hitler had agreed with like a lot of these like small. They, they called themselves political parties, but they really weren't. And, like, they might agree with the Nazis on 99% of the things, but then these, like, tiny little political parties disagree on 1%. Like, you're not cool with pickaxes. Yeah. (laughs) Hitler fucking took those fuckers out, too. I mean, all in all, the official number of people murdered is said to be... This is going to be fucking crazy. The official number is said to be 85. Oh, my God. That does seem low. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. That's that's official murders. That that's like what state sanctioned, you know, essay leaders, political opponents. But that number might have like obviously been a lot fucking higher. The unofficial number of people killed ranges very wildly too. From seven hundred to over a thousand. And not because like Obviously, not every death is going to be recorded. Well, yeah, by nature of the event itself, like the fact that what's happening, like, this is a clandestine like purge. Nobody's going to be recorded. Exactly. Once the purge had been completed and the dust was beginning to settle, final loose ends obviously needed to be tied up. Mainly the fate of Ernst Rom, the leader of the brown shirts. This is the guy who had been pretty much projected Hitler into the power he was wielding right now. Mm-hmm. He was using it against Rom. Shortly after the events of those days, Rom was taken to Stadelhelm prison in Munich. As with most prisoners of the Nazi regime, Ernst Rom's days were pretty much numbered. By July 1st, Hitler had made up his mind what to do with Rom. Because he had been sitting on it, ruminating on it, like trying to figure out what to do with Rom. There was only one way out for poor Rom. He sent Theodore Eckert and the commandant of Dachau concentration camp and the SS adjunct. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Was there a Dachau camp at this point? Yeah, Dachau, Dachau was a camp. Oh, uh, seriously? Like yeah, in, so in 34? The concentration camps originally didn't start to hold out Jewish populations. They were originally started as political prisons for like social democrats and communists. Oh, so like they, were- they actually had those already in place by 34? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, I did not realize that. That's I did not. Crazy. That means that, that, was, that wasn't just Hitler. That was some Weimar shit. No, no. It, I I mean, it was probably a place where they kept political prisoners during the Weimar, but then, like, the Nazis expanded upon it. So I mean, this, is like, this is like Gal- Stalin's gulags. Yeah, but Stalin's gulags were just expansions upon the czarist like camps, which we already knew were a bad thing, but, like, the Weimar, there were, okay, okay, in 1919, there weren't any of these camps. In 1934, suddenly there are. Yeah. Wow. So they were really prototyping their kind of like operational uh, no wonder they were protocols so good. long before the war kicked off, huh? No wonder they were so yeah. good at it by 44. No. You, crazy, crazy fucking part. It's a side tangent. Crazy fucking part about the concentration camps is not only did France know, not only did the UK know, but the fucking US. All three of these countries knew concentration camps were a fucking thing in Germany way before the war even started 
during the war, we knew the final execu- final solution was going on. We did nothing to stop it. Well, okay, Granville, during the war, what more are you going to do? Were this we pretty? True. We were pretty isolationist at the time, though, right? We're try- we were trying to be, but yeah, kind of. Like, well, I mean, is- okay, also, as a counterpoint, these camps exist in the Uyghur counties in China right now. I don't want to be killed by the Chinese. Oh, let's... <laughs> we don't need... <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't do anything. I don't know. Okay, I might... you invade Germany in, 30, in 35 when your country's falling apart by, uh, by like, uh, uh, the Great Depression. You've got, like, riots in the streets all the time. You've got gangsters shooting each other over fucking booze, and nobody's got the money. <laughs> what are you going to do? Like, ah, you know what we should do right now? Let's divert 20% of our GDP to stop these concentration camps. Is it the right thing to do? Yes. Is anybody going to support it? No. No. I mean, it was a rock and a hard place. Yeah, there's no there's no good way out of that. Of, of, of course, everybody knew. Cause there's no, you can't hide that kind of like mass execution or mass like, or mass at least like stripping of people's rights. Hell, the Chinese came and hide it and we're in the, we live in the era, you can hide anything. But like, yeah, it's not going to... The thing is, you, you can't do much about it. Shortly after the events of the Night of the Long Knives, Rom was taken to Stadelhelm prison in Munich. Hitler sent Theodor Eckert, commandant of the Dachau concentration camp, and SS adjunct Michael Lippert? Lippert? <laughs> There's an R there, so I guess Lippert. Yep, Lippert. It's definitely a weird spelling. They sent, he sent both these guys to Rom's cell. In a surprising act of what the Nazis might consider mercy, they placed a, placed a Browning pistol in Rom's cell with a single bullet. Well, I love that I don't give an American or a German pistol. Yeah, the, <laughs> a Browning pistol. It's, it's kind of the irony is not it's like a little bit of a slap in the face on that one. Or? Yeah, you don't get to shoot yourself with German quality. <laughs> so they gave him the Browning pistol and one bullet and told him he had 10 minutes to shoot himself. In a last-ditch moment of defiance, Rome told both these men, If I'm to be killed, let Adolf do it himself. Eckert and Leopard left Rome to his own devices and waited the allotted ten minutes. When no shot had been heard from the cell, the two men returned to see Rome. And this is comical. I don't know why I think it's comical, but Rome was obviously a big, beefy dude. so He, he was... Yo, Rome was a dick and was not a good person, but I never, I don't think Rome was ever a coward. Like, he's the one like, fuck you. So they, when they were, the two men returned to Rome, they found him standing in his cell with his chest out in defiance. And without anything said between three men, both SS officers shot Rome while he stood in his cell. (laughs) Why didn't didn't he, he had a gun with a bullet in it. Why didn't he take one of them out with him? That's what I was just saying. Like they they hand him a gun with a bullet in it, set on his desk, and then they turn their backs and walk away. Hey, you're you know you're gonna die eventually. Why don't you shoot one of them? They're dicks too. Yeah, I, it's maybe some stupid Prussian officer pride shit. Maybe it was just like a slot in the door that they opened and shot him. That's possible. Yeah, they or they like put the gun like through the slot in the door and said, "Here's the gun," and then like flicked the bullet through. Like, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson, Nick, I've got a question for you guys. I mean, no legit government could survive a purge of this size and this scope without so much as a black eye. Except the dozens who do. Well, you're you're kind of right because it's 
Nazi Germany we're talking about here. Yeah, and, and it's, it's nobody, nobody, no normal people know what the fuck's going on in the government because they're just trying to wallpaper their walls with their worthless Reichsmarks at this point. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, you're not wrong because the the Nazi government could literally say something so outrageous and out like out there that people are just going to gobble it up and believe it. Well, it's not so, that they it's not that they like it. It's that there's something going like. Um, well, okay, that's not great, but I'm not sure where my next meal is coming from. So in the terms of, like, hierarchy of needs right now, Maslow tells me I need food and shelter, and then I'll figure out political desires. Yeah, I'm super glad the U.S. isn't like this. <coughs> January 6th. <coughs> Sorry. Weird cough. In the days following the events, the night at the Long Knives... Hitler's cabinet passed measures trying to solidify and commend the measures that were taken on July 30th through July 2nd. June 30th through July 2nd. And they, they passed measures to make it seem like this was necessary. This was needed for the safety and security of the state. Of course they did. Certain statesmen who were trying to cozy up to the new regime added legal veneer to this purge. There was even a telegram from sitting President Paul von Hindenburg expressing his gratitude towards Hitler and the Nazi party for stopping this treasonous activity. But, as Jackson and I have been talking about throughout this entire episode, Paul von Hindenburg was pretty fucking senile because it was later found out through Hermann Goring at the Nuremberg trials that the telegraph was fake and written by the Nazi party for public consumption. Yeah, no shit. Hindenburg was pretty much a living corpse at this time. The guy was alive, but like the kind of person who's like when you have the when you have like the lawsuits about like they pulled the plug and they shouldn't have. He was that kind of like living. He was he was there, but not there. He could say and talk, but like he would go in and out and like he was talking coherently. Then he would like for three weeks be like senile and be like, "We must uh, strengthen the Western Front." So he was on uh, on a Joe Biden level. All in all, Germany was no better off than where it started the day before the Night of the Long Knives. And as most of us know, things only get worse from here on out, both in Germany and Europe at large. The Night of the Long Knives pretty much just cemented Hitler's power and judgment over the people of Germany, over the army, over the fate of the world that had only been at peace for 15 or 16 years by this fucking point. Yeah, it's I mean, not been long. 
Germany is fresh off the fucking Treaty of Versailles, fresh off the First World War, 18 million casualties. And 15 or 16 years, th- this is where it gets to. Hitler in power and the Second World War right on the horizon. This, I guess that's what happens when you are kind of like blamed for a war. You didn't technically, um, might have started, but then you were blamed for doing it all, and then the Great Depression. <laughs> and then after 15 to 16 years of peace, this peace is going to be broken again. What is the actual, like, what is the, what is the time between 1918 and 39? 15 to 16 years? 21. Well, 15 to 16 years till Hitler takes power in 33. Right, but then it's another um, three to five. Yeah, but Germany, Germany is not at know, peace for years. those... Germany no, is not at peace for most of that. I mean, yes, they are. Six years. They're six years. They're, they're at peace. Okay, they're at peace, but they're, not like socially. Inter- internally, oh, no, they're at, I mean, they're not uh, at war, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's just what I mean. So by this point, after the Night of the Long Knives... There was nobody left to oppose Hitler. There's there's nobody left to oppose Hitler, and the, the, the stage is set for the Second World War. And that and would it, plunge the entire world back into another conflict and devastate millions. And this left lives. Stalin going, man, this Hitler is quite a guy. Well done, Hitler. Because he admired the Night of the Long Knives. Because he oh, done I mean, the same thing a few years later. Hitler Hitler totally, like, based the Night of the Long Knives off of, the, like, the purges Stalin did. It, I would them, they happened almost concurrently, I think, because they were both happened in the 30s. You know, because it was a problem when Hitler inevitably invaded Russia that the Russians had no competent officers because the, they had killed them all. I think. I think actually, it might have happened a bit later. The the Stalinist purge. It's it's so fucking funny how this shit just kind of it's it's a cycle. It just it's a how, rinse and repeat every hundred years. Like you get the far, you get the far rightists. They come back every fucking couple of years. The far right comes back. No, and also they'll never admit it. But the far left is the same thing. Like, oh, yeah, like they're, listen, they're, the Stalinist the Russians and the Nazi Germans almost operated on the exact same principles. But they're like, no, we're not the same. And I'll kill you if you say that. I never understood that. I never understood the Nazis' beef with the communists because, yeah, it, in my mind, they were always similar dictatorships that like were pushing the same type of stuff. Like, no, I, that's what, that's what I always thought too. Like when you look at it, like kind of like granular, like seeing like, how do they work with their military? How do they work with their industry? How do they have like social, like it's the uh, same reforms? shit. It's the it, same shit. It's so similar. Yeah. And there's, like, there's differences in ideology and like what they're trying to do, but it's like, but in practice, I mean, it's basically the same. <laughs> I think it's not like a, it's not like a left and right bar like like a like a straight line. I think it's like a circle. Like if you go far enough right, you end up left. Or if you go far enough left, you end up right. <laughs> 100%. I totally agree. Well, that was some crazy shit, guys. Um I got a I got a question for you. It's a classic classic moral quandary. If you could go back in time, would you kill baby Hitler? No. I'd, shoot, I'd shoot Stalin first. No. No, you no, wouldn't because it's not going to lead to the U.S. supremacy. I think. I think. Oh, at least true Cold facts, War. bro. Connor's because a true patriot. I'm probably looking to kill um, either Mao or Stalin first. I can respect no, that. No, no, we need the U.S. to have its enemies because if the U.S. doesn't have its enemies, 
we don't have something to strive towards or like beat. And then we don't spend $700 billion on our military spending every year. You say it like it's like a large part of our budget. Like how like we we make a fuckload of money. It's like only twelve percent of our GDP. It's such a small amount. We make Dude, so much fucking. Our money. military spending is more than like most other countries' GDPs. I think there's yeah, only like than four next, countries. Like, it's, it's, it's more than more, no. I think no, it's more than like ten. Ten. That includes like six of both our allies. And the, the point is <laughs> yeah. that like we just make so much more money that it's that it, that it's not a large amount for us. And I love how we just literally it's like, it's like, it's like, institute okay. free lunches in elementary Oh, yeah. It's insane. It's insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. It's we insane. Don't spend our, we don't spend our absurd capital well. But God like, bless the America. Reason we can, so we can spend, you know, how many billion you said on uh, defense and not feel it terribly horribly in uh, our lives. Because we got because that we fucking shmoney, bro. It's because we just made shmoney. And speaking of that shmoney. You should go follow us all on Instagram. I'm Connor. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm Connor James on Instagram. No, he's not. I'm he's at Schmick underscore Nensen. You can sound that one out. It's exactly how it sounds. Uh, I'm uh, Jackson Langland. I don't have any cool pronunciations. I also don't have anything interesting posted on Instagram. So uh, follow at your own boredom. <laughs> <laughs> we, we also have a podcast Instagram in case you have- which is far better. That. You should follow that. Yeah, hit us up on Instagram if you guys got uh, topics you want done. Let us know in the comments. If you're interested in a Patreon uh, weekly stream where we get blacked out and yell at each other, uh, that might also oh. be on the table. So should, let us know. We could just record our weekly talks. Let's just let's literally just make a business out of this. So, so how do we make this a business so I can literally write buying books off? I can buy books and write them off as a business expense. Like when, when do we get to that point, guys? We need, we need, you, we need you, the people to, to invest in us. Connor, you have a history major. You could, you're you, of, of the three of us. You have the best opportunity to write that shit off because you have do, the, uh, degree can we for like it. actually call ourselves like an actual legit history podcast? Since I am a history major, I do have my degree in history. I don't know if we can, because you grow weed for a living. So I think, uh, I did, I did point this out. It is incredibly funny. I have rolled more weed on my degree and snorted more cocaine off my degree than I've actually used my degree. You shouldn't lead with that. I don't give a fuck. I would, I, would, I would lead with that. I would lead with that. Actually, honestly, on Patreon, that make us, might make us more money, to be, to be right. totally honest. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. We hope you all have a great rest of your week. And, uh, and we'll be back week. soon. We got some stuff coming up. Oh, yes. We, got, we, got, we have an episode already written, which is going to be another fucking heavy hitter of millions of deaths. And we're working on a uh, Halloween one, which will be between this Ooh. and that one. The Halloween. Do we want to ruin the Halloween one? No, we don't. No, We're just no, saying it is. We We're just it? saying Can we it give exists. a hint? Can we give a hint? Let's give a hint. Uh, it has to do with the Northwest Passage. fucking cold. Nice. There we, that was a good hint. Okay. Hell yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon.